one of the things I've learned is when you build a championship culture, the questions and the ideal and the thought process of who has the final say and all that really becomes irrelevant because at the end of the day, when we come out of whatever room we're in, we have the common goal. And the common goal is to bring championships here. Brand new Bears president Kevin Warren at his introductory press conference yesterday. Lots to look forward to at Hallis Hall and Soldier Field and potentially Arlington Park down the line. Who knows? Who knows? Lots to figure out there uh, on the field and off for the Chicago Bears. Uh, and we're back. It is Brady Stiff. Kelsey has the week off, but one of our favorite guests has returned. Dave Ross, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great, Brady. Uh, great to be back with you, man. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it's high times in Chicago since I've left the city here, uh, you know, holding all the cards with the number one pick. I'll be very curious to see what the front office does, Brady, but I mean, they couldn't have asked for a better scenario the way the end of the regular season played out. Which begs the question, and uh, Kelsey's husband posed this question indirectly to me, uh, one of our previous recordings here. So I'll ask you, and, and I don't know if this is a fair question, because um, I think it has many answers. Was this a successful season for the Chicago Bears? Hmm. Having the worst record in the NFL is hard <laughs> to say that you had a successful season, right? Sure. But I think, yeah. I think the fan base is happy. They, they, they saw what they wanted to see in Justin Fields. I think maybe year one with the Eberflus, they wanted more wins. But once they realized it really didn't matter the way the Viking season started off, that they weren't going to catch them, it would have been nice, maybe a successful season had they beaten the Packers. I think that could have flipped uh, maybe some expectations a little bit. But overall, getting the one pick and what they do with it will determine whether or not this was actually a successful season. I think it's one of those in hindsight that I think Houston might look back and kick themselves going, why did we win that game <laughs> right. against Indianapolis? And then fire Lovey Smith, of all people, the former Bears coach, obviously, to take them to a Super Bowl, and, and fall into the number two spot. So it's something we've debated a lot on our network. I've talked about it with our GM, Michael Lombardi, here. And, you know, I, I actually am Brent Musburger, for that matter. I don't think they can take Will Anderson at one, even if that's the guy they love. Because I think there's ways you can still manipulate this market, move down, and still get Will Anderson and possibly some number ones to go along with it. Yeah, I think if they do end up decide to trade, uh, deciding to trade that number one overall pick, they're, they're ensuing number one pick, right, in this first round, assuming that it just involves right. at least uh, a straight-up swap. They're not going to have to go very far down, right? Because there's, no. there's plenty of quarterback-hungry teams um, who, if they desire C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or uh, whoever it is, right, um, you know, they're, they're going to be close enough to the top where the Bears can still get their guy. And, look, the Bears have plenty of needs, plenty of needs, right? Um, oh pass rush being up there, wide receiver, of course. The one thing they don't need is quarterback. Now, that said, you know, and I don't know how much sports radio you sample from Chicago these days, but – I mean, we're talking everything is on the table, Dave. It, I mean, yeah. it's from, you know, building around Justin to firing Eberflus and, and going with Luke Getze. I've heard that brought up, you know, getting rid of Justin, trading Justin, drafting one of these two young guys. I mean, literally everything is on the table. It's, it's pretty wild to, to hear some of these theories. Well, again, you know, Ryan Pace, those days are over. You got Ryan Poles now. And I look at Poles and I look at Eberflus and I go, well, those guys didn't draft Justin Fields. I mean, that's, that's the one thing Bears have to remember. And I know the fan base thinks they know what should happen. But really, in that front office, those are the conversations internally they're having. 
hey, we inherited this guy. We might really like the guy that we inherited, but still inheriting and building something on your own with your own draft capital. That's why the old leadership is not there anymore because they went in with, with Trubisky that didn't work out. And ultimately that was going to be, I think the death nail for both of them, even though Nagy inherited Trubisky, if you want to go that far back as well. So I do look at polls and I look at Eberflus and those private conversation they're having is can we win long-term with Justin Fields? If the answer is yes, then you're going to throw out a lot of smoke screens now between now and April saying, Oh, you know, everything's on the table. We, we like CJ Stroud. We like Bryce Young. Maybe we just draft them at one. You know, the, the, the former Redskins, when they drafted RG3 at two overall, they also took Kirk Cousins in that same draft in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. When, Kyle, when Mike Shanahan and Kyle were running at that team there, you know, as a young uh, offensive coordinator and Kyle Shanahan, and of course, Mike was being the head coach. And I remember talking on that day when they traded up with the Rams to move up to the two spot to take RG3. They also got two future number ones from the Rams to move up just, you know, ever so slightly with the Rams. So that's basically three number ones to get what you thought would be your franchise quarterback in RD3. Didn't exactly pan out that way, but I think that's the going rate. If you look at the Colts at four, right, I think that's a logical dance partner for the Bears and say, okay, if you want to move up to one to hop in front of Houston, because we know Houston's taking a quarterback at two, right? This is the predicament that Houston's put themselves in by not securing the number one pick. There could be another team that trades with the Bears to move up to one, like the Colts, if they go that route and say, yeah, we really want Bryce Young or whatever the, you know, the smoke screen is yeah. to get their guy and then let, let Houston take whatever is left over. So I think the Bears could be looking at setting themselves up long-term potentially with a couple more number ones slide down ever so slightly and still get a stud player at four. Yeah, and that's what really hamstrung. You mentioned the Trubisky deal <laughs> when Ryan Pace went up and and got Mitch Trubisky at number two, and he really didn't have to do what he did. Right. Hamstrung the organization for years to come. And, you know, we're seeing the, the long-term effects of that play itself out on the field now. Off the field, you know, we mentioned Kevin Warren as the new president. Mm-hmm. Um, what effect do you think – that the new president can have on the on the field product. It seems like he's a football guy, much more than Ted Phillips ever was. Right. Um, so you know, obviously he's not coaching, he's not playing, he's not generally managing. But I would imagine he's going to have at least some input on the football side of things. I would think he's in those conversation now with, with Poles and Eberflus. But again, those guys are like the old guard now, right? When you're in that conversation, so. It'll be interesting to see how if that's a triumvirate, if it's really a 33, 33, 33% type. I don't think it'll be that much, but I do think it'll have input for sure. But, you know, that's why you bring in a guy like Poles and say, okay, you're going to be our future. Really, you know, you bring in Eberflus, that's your first hire, okay? So now we've got the GM, we've got the head coach tied it to him. Now we've got a new team president coming in. You hope they're symbiotic in the vision that they have uh, for the you know the organization as a whole, not just the player side here, uh, but certainly with the fan base and everything else that a team president really has to to do on a more administrative side, if you will. But yes, they will have a say. You would think in those draft rooms, they're going to be there. They're going to be involved. Those conversations will happen, and you hope that those conversations are all looking in the same way. So, I think right now the Bears are playing poker. They're holding pocket aces right now with the rest of the league. And I think right now it's the best case scenario for having the worst record in the NFL (laughs) last year 
it really is the best of a bad situation. Yeah, I think back to that that week 18, that last Sunday, and we weren't really paying attention to the score of the Bears game because it didn't matter. We wanted them to lose right? one, and Justin wasn't playing. Uh, so really, for us, there was no reason to watch, but we were paying very close attention to the Houston and Indianapolis game, and of course it was Lovey going for two with that late touchdown, giving one more middle finger to the uh, to the Texans on the way out. <laughs> I, I think it would have been great, Brady, if he like took off his shirt and he had a bear shirt underneath yeah. right there on the sideline. I mean, right. You know, like a, like a WWE thing, like a sting reveal or something. Yeah. Like It would have been fantastic to go full heel. So Lovey <laughs> Smith, I hope, has ingratiated himself, he hadn't already, with the Bears fans forevermore because he really, Lovey Smith, could have just set the Bears up for the next decade plus if they play their cards right here. They could ultimately, if they're sold on Justin Fields, which I believe they are, but, you know, again, these are private conversations that Poles and Eberflus are going to have. If they are, they just got a whole lot of help now for, the, for, for Justin Fields going forward with potentially two more future number ones and just a little bit down the road a number one in this year's draft as well. To me, that's the asking price. You go off history. You go off what Mike Shanahan did. You, you go off what other teams have traded up to move up and give to get their franchise quarterback. If somebody wants to come calling for that number one spot for the Bears, I think that's the asking price. And I often also think it'd be silly for the Bears to sit at one if they take either the big D tackle out of Georgia or the linebacker out, out of Alabama because I do think you could get those guys at three or four. So I don't want to put this all on polls, but I do think if he can't strike a deal – and still secure one of those players down the road, I don't know that he's doing this right. But this is a key part of being a GM. This is the part of playing poker right now that the best ones play at the highest levels. And we, we've never, we as Bears fans, have never really trusted the organization to get it right. So yep. I think there's some added pressure there on Ryan Poles as a second-year GM, you know, new, mm -hmm. new presidents, you know, hopefully, hopefully they get it right because you're, you're right. They, they do have a chance to set themselves up. Um, let's talk a little bit about what happened on the field this weekend. Of course, good football was had. Good oh, football yeah. was played. Um, you know, I, I officiate high school basketball during the winter, so I, I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of football this weekend. But mm -hmm. the first game I really did have a chance to watch was the Jaguars game and their comeback against the Chargers. <laughs> and I, I made it to the TV just in time for the Jags to score that touchdown right before halftime. I had seen the score. I was like, Please, this is the first time I've had a chance to really sit down and watch football this weekend. Give me something. Give me something. Let's make this interesting. Yeah. So they score right before halftime, and then we know what happened the rest of the way. Um, Brandon Staley, what are you doing, man? Well, look, you know, I call him Boy Genius 2.0. He came <laughs> over from Sean McVay's staff, right? And I, I, I was with Sean in D.C. in our time way back there under the Shanahan's before Kyle left to become the Niners head coach. And, you know, Sean McVay's always kind of been Boy Genius, right? And then you get Staley off of his staff as the defensive coordinator to go to the Chargers two years ago. And I thought what he did last year was actually even worse than what he did this year. And I thought it was coaching malpractice last year, you know, just going by. And look, this is an analytics debate. I understand that. And people can have that until they're, you know, the, the cows come home. My thing is just win. It's the old Al Davis line. And when you don't win and you don't make the postseason with the roster you had a year ago, that's coaching malpractice. I thought he, thought he coached pretty well this year, ironically, until the last game of the regular season when you play Bosa and you play Mike Williams in a game that matters zero and you tried to beat the Broncos in mile high like it was the Super Bowl 
One, they they lose the game. It didn't matter if they won or lost the game. They already slotted into their spot. And then Bosa and Williams get hurt. Now, Bosa played, but he wasn't the same guy. He gets two personal fouls. And yep. Mike Williams can't play, couldn't even travel with the team. They could have used a Mike Williams in that game on Saturday night. So I thought Brandon Staley has not covered himself in glory as a second-year head coach. They're not going to fire him. They've already changed the staff a little bit. And they're going to get a new offensive coordinator. And I just look at it like that might be the Spanos family just not wanting to, to pay more. Or it really could be, all right, kid, we're going to give you <laughs> one more shot. Right. But you can't screw this up again. You somehow missed the playoffs a year ago, and now we're one and done against the Jaguars with a 27-0 lead just before halftime. And now we saw it's the third biggest comeback in the history of pro football. I mean, those are fireable offenses to me as an outside person looking in. They're going to give him one more shot, but he might not even survive the season if they get off to a slow start next year. I saw someone, and I forget the exact number, but we call this in, in horse racing, we call this bridge jumping, where you know, you've got a horse that just can't lose. And you bet $10,000 to show, meaning, you know, the horse got to come in third. And you're figuring what's, I mean, what's the worst that could happen just to make a hundred bucks, right? You got to bet 10,000 to make a hundred bucks. I saw uh, somebody placed a bet maybe for a million dollars to make 10,000 or something like that. I'm just like, 11,000. Wow. Wow. That's, that's crazy. We, we, we do that story, uh, certainly on Visa and on my network, uh, on Big Bets, and we discuss that exact ticket that you're talking about, literally putting up millions of dollars to try to win back 11000 when they were up 27 nothing. First of all, why are you doing that if you have millions in the bank? Do you need the 11000 that badly is, is kind of my thir- first thought process. But secondly, you're betting on the Chargers and Brandon Staley. Really? Yep. That's what you're betting on. And if there's anybody that's going to, you know, they call it chargering. And you saw more chargering going on in that game. And look, the crazy thing, Brady, is it didn't even take, when you go back historically to some of those biggest upsets, like the, the Oilers against the Buffalo Bills back in the day from a 32-point deficit, the Oilers had to turn it over to give it to the Bills. The, the Chargers didn't turn it over. They won the turnover battle 5 nothing, Yeah. And still lost a 27 nothing lead. That's almost impossible to do. And a matter of fact, I believe that the winning percentage was less than a percent, than 1% when it was 27-0. And with nary a turnover in the second half, they were able to come back and get the game-winning field goal and beat the Chargers. That is coaching malpractice, and I've always said it. If you've got a lead like that, I don't care who you are. I don't care if it's Bill Belichick. I don't care if it's the late, great Tom Landry. You name the greatest coaches of all time. They're not losing that game. They're just not. And Brandon Staley has to figure out why that happened and ensure the Spanos family that that will never happen again or else he won't have a job very long next year. The 49ers take out the Seahawks. Geno Smith was a ton of fun this year to watch uh, mm-hmm. out west. And, and the Niners, I mean, that's the story, you know, with Brock wow. Purdy, uh, a rookie undrafted quarterback, slinging the ball. And, you know, he's got the Niners to the divisional round facing your Cowboys uh, coming up this weekend. But uh, what do you make of Brock Purdy? I think, you know, going from Mr. Relevant now to very relevant, as we've seen oh, here right. in, Mr. in the postseason. I said undrafted, right. but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that you can get the last pick in the draft if you're Kyle Shanahan. Again, knowing the Shanahans from my D.C. days, those guys don't throw away those picks, right? That's why Mike Shanahan drafted Kirk Cousins when he also drafted RG3 as an insurance policy. 
So I can see the way Kyle was thinking. Okay, we've got our eye on a quarterback. And by the way, Skylar Thompson, who, who you know played for the Dolphins this past weekend, went just before Brock Purdy in that same draft in the seventh round. So Mike McDaniels, right, another offensive guy from the Shanahan staff. It's almost like you can see the way their brains work when it comes to the draft. Sure. I've got my guy on a quarterback that nobody else is probably looking at, but I want them on my team, so I'm not going to let them go undrafted. I will pick them and then figure out if uh, I can kind of stow them away and nobody else sees the genius that I see in these guys. It worked for Miami. Skyler, say what you want, but he had them in a three-point game in Orchard Park last week with a chance to win it with a late drive. Didn't work out. And then Brock Purdy. And what he's done is it comes from that Trey Lance you know, kind of mold of mobility, right? So he's not as big as Trey Lance. Not many quarterbacks are. But he's got the mobility like a Trey Lance, and he keeps those eyes down the field. And maybe that's what Trey has to learn a little bit when he gets healthy here, if he's going to be the quarterback of the Niners going forward, what a great predicament to be in if you're Kyle Shanahan. But Purdy keeps his eyes downfield. That's the difference. He's not taking off for a 20-yard run, right? He might take off for a 10-yard run for a first down, so he's, can, he can beat you with that mobility, but he really is looking down the field. And that's kind of wise beyond his years that he's keeping the play, the really, truly big play in front of him. So if I'm the Cowboys, I'm not going to spy him necessarily and try to take him away with like a Leighton Van Der Esch or certainly not a Micah Parsons, but I might try to confuse him. And I will count on Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator this week to show him things that he might not have seen before. So that's the matchup to watch. It's really Kyle Shanahan against Dan Quinn. People can talk about Mike McCarthy, D'Amico Ryans, all they want. That's the other matchup here, right? OC, Kellen Moore, Mike McCarthy against D'Amico has done a great job as a D coordinator, probably going to get a head coaching job somewhere next year. But these are heavyweight coordinator matchups when you've got a D'Amico and you've got a Dan Quinn running those defenses against a Kellen Moore and a Mike McCarthy against a Kyle Shanahan. So it's as good as it gets. I really think, Brady, that this might be the toughest outing that young Mr. Very Relevant is going to experience in his young NFL career. Well, Niners favored by four in that game. Um, how's your leg? Can you kick a field goal or an extra point? I got to, you know, I actually, you know, our buddy Robbie Gold, of course, Bears grade, and now with the Niners, and I have a little bit of a relationship with Robbie since uh, he would come on our shows at Stadium when I was there in, there in Chicago, and I just, I just sent him a message. I said, hey, man, will you give my guy, Brett Maher, a quick lesson just to make this an even fight? Because I know Robbie Gold didn't miss kicks. He doesn't miss kicks in the postseason. He just doesn't miss big kicks. So clearly advantage special teams right now, at least in the kicking game. It goes to the Niners, and Brady, you know, if this comes down to a Brett Maher game winner, every Cowboy fan like myself and backer, because I got the Cowboys plus four, we're going to be holding our collective, uh, you know, hearts in our throats. It's going to be, you know, you're going to have to swallow a hard time and hope that he figures this out and gets rid of the yips. If you're a golfer, you know what that feeling's like. Yep. It's the worst feeling ever. You feel like you just don't know what you're doing. He missed, remember, four in a row against the Bucs, but he had missed his last kick the week before against uh, Washington. Five missed PATs in a row before he made the last one. I mean, that is, that's a real thing. That's, that's the loneliest thing, oh. the loneliest feeling, because, I mean, you, you don't know whether or not you're going to get another shot in that game, right? You can't guarantee your team's going to score another touchdown. And there was one drive in particular where they got down to about the 20 and they got a fourth down situation and they left Maher on the sideline. I mean, yeah, whether the strategy, oh yeah, right. Whether the strategy said field goal or not, they were not taking a chance on Brett Maher's leg there. 
Right, and that was when it was 24-6 Cowboys. And I remember the shot of Maher starting to kind of run on the field. And McCarthy was talking to John Fossil, the special teams coach. And they were like, nope. And they, you know, <laughs> right. that, that's when they threw it to CD for the touchdown. And then he came out and made the extra point. Right. Which was about the same distance as it would have been if they'd gone for the field goal at that point. So that was good to see if you're a Cowboy backer that at least they didn't go for two. You know what I mean? Like in a game, they're up 30. It was 30 to six at that point. Or 30 yeah. To, yeah, 30 to six. So at least he got that last one in. He's been so good for the Cowboys this year, which is ironic. He'd only missed three extra points all year going into the Tampa game and only two going into the final week of the regular season. He kicked a consecutive 60 yarders against Minnesota. One was called back. Then he kicked it again at the end of the first half. So he's got a leg, a really powerful leg. Now you just worry about what's going on in here because clearly it's not anything to do with physical right now. It feels like it's all the mental. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, Kickers are like closers are like golfers because it's an individual yeah. thing, right? Kickers, the, you're trusted to make the big kicks, the long kicks, the short kicks, the extra points, which end up playing a huge role. Um, you know, sometimes golfers, there's nobody else out there to help you. Oh. It is, it is you yourself and you, right? Your caddy <laughs> can give you all the encouraging words, but you got to hit the shot. You still got to hit the shot. And then closers, you know, you're, you're standing out there on the mound you got to throw strikes and in a one run game, you cannot walk somebody. So, um, you know, lonely, lonely feelings out there for sure. Um, you, you mentioned you got the Cowboys plus four, uh, Mm -hmm. what, what's, what led to, uh, aside from your hearts, picking the Cowboys there. (laughs) Well, I, I, you know, I was on the Cowboys last week. I played it at three against the Bucks, and the number went down to two and a half. And, you know, every, it was the perfect scenario for me knowing this team that, I knew that the last week against the commanders, which everybody, that's why that number shrunk because we were theorizing before the last week of the regular season, the Cowboys would be about a five or six point favorite at Tampa. They look so bad against the boys in DC. They, they lowered that number down and right. And then the Tom Brady rhetoric came in and I get that. I understand all that logic, but I knew they wouldn't play like that. This was a trust for me again. And in, in the coordinators, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Mike McCarthy, big Mike's done a really good job with this team. He's done a really good job of putting this staff together and I knew that Kellen Moore, once they kind of figured out this running game, the two had a monster of Zeke and Power together, mm-hmm. that would open up things in the pass game. And Dak was fantastic against Tampa. If he plays like that, which I think he will, I don't know if he can play as well as he did against Tampa. It might have been his best game as a pro uh, against Tampa this past weekend. Perfect time for it. If he plays like that against the Niners, I'm a thousand percent confident the Cowboys will win the game at plus a dollar seventy-five. By the way, which I've also played. If, you know, I always say, a kid, if he's super Dak Prescott, the Cowboys don't lose. If he's average Dak, the game's in the balance and more than likely they'll lose. It really is. As good as four is, that's how, how good this offense can be. I trust the defense here. I told you about Dan Quinn. Micah Parsons, the shin worried me a little bit at the end of that first half. Yeah. But he's going to be a full go. And if he's 100%, I think with all due respect to Bosa and Armstead and some of the studs they have on the other side, I think he'll be the best defensive player out there. He was against the Buccaneers on Monday night. That might be the best matchup of the week. Well, I take that back because Bills and Bengals is really interesting. Yeah. Giants and Eagles, of course, really interesting. Um, before we jump into those other three games uh, coming up divisional round this weekend, no Tom Brady, no Aaron Rodgers past wild card weekend. Of course, Rodgers and the Packers not even making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. As a Bears fan, this is just music to my ears. Um <laughs> 
The future for both guys, though, is going to be it's going to dominate the NFL storylines leading up to the draft, right? What are these guys going to do? Is is Aaron going to stay in Green Bay? Is he happy there? Yada yada yada. We've heard this for years, right? What's Tom Brady going to do? Is he done? I mean, there were stretches this entire season where he's just looked awful. He's forty five years old. How much longer can he play? What is your thought on both guys' future? I think for one for Brady is I don't think he's done by a long shot. I really don't. And I, and I actually think there's a good chance that he'll come out here to the desert here in Las Vegas and play with the silver and black. I think it'd be a really good match. I really do. He's got weapons on the outside here. Obviously, Devontae Adams might be the best receiver in football. Darren Waller came back at the end of the regular season, looked like he was healthy. You hope Renfro with the concussions, you hope he's able to go. But if so, he's got talent there. Josh Jacobs is unrestricted. They got to figure out a way to bring him back. That's not a gimme that he comes back. The one thing Brady does need that Tampa did not have this year, two things. They were the worst rushing team in the NFL. That's why he threw it 66 times against the Cowboys. And two, the offensive line was a shell of itself from the Super Bowl year just a couple years ago. The Raiders line is not great, but it's, it's decent enough that it should be able to hold up. I think it'd be a really good match with he and Josh McDaniels to be reunited out here. I'd look for that scenario. I saw some markets out there. It's about three to one for his odds to come out here. He might stay in Tampa, but they got to redo that whole running game and the offensive line. That feels like a bigger haul. So my expectation is he goes with a coordinator and a head coach now, McDaniels, that he's really familiar with from their winning days in uh, New England. It just makes a lot of sense. But Brady, I I'd say if he comes out here, it's not for a year. I think he'd sign a two-year deal, kind of like he did in Tampa. And then he ended up playing three years there. So I don't think he's done. I really don't. And I, Rogers is coming back. Forget all this. <laughs> I, like, this is comical to me at this stage. He's like, oh, I got to take time. They just gave you a massive extension. Right. You did all this last year. You and Gutekunst look like you're finally on the same page. Right? So I don't buy any of this. It, there, there's, I think, an infantile chance that he retires and walks away from a pretty good Packer team with receivers that are getting younger or that are younger and getting better that I think he's finally getting a relationship with. So I'd be stunned if Rodgers hangs it up or Brady. And I don't think either one of them will. I think they're both back, but I think Brady goes back to the AFC and I think Rodgers is going to stay right where he is in green Bay. Yeah. I think if, if Rodgers, assuming he does play in green Bay next year, he's uh, got 60 something million coming his way. So that, that's hard to He's walk away from. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, you know, you can go to all the rainforest you want and you do, <laughs> do whatever you want to do in the offseason. You, you're going to need that money at some point. He's not walking away from 60. Yeah. Million. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the games uh, coming up here this weekend. We've already touched on Cowboys and Niners, uh, Jaguars mm -hmm. and Chiefs, KC minus eight and a half. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, I saw a quote today. I want to paraphrase here, but. He's, uh, he's not sure that Arrowhead's going to be very loud. I think he's in for a rude awakening coming up oh. on, uh, I think it's a Saturday game, right? It is. Why do, why do you say those things? <laughs> like, uh, like, just just why? I, I Maybe he really doesn't know, but he knows because he played there. They already lost there this year in the regular season. Now, it was a really cold game when they played there, and it, was, it did not feel like a, a typical Kansas City crowd, right? Because it was freezing cold. So maybe that's what he's referencing. There. But the cold won't affect them in that crowd this weekend. It will be loud. But I got to tell you, I, I think this is a weekend for the dogs. And eight and a half is too much for me. I'm going to play the Jaguars here. Again, I get to the coordinators a lot and the head coaches. And I look at Peterson. Who knows Andy Reid better than Doug Peterson? Right. I mean, it comes from the staff, right? So I look at it and I go, yeah, they don't have Superman in 15 and, and Patrick Mahomes. 
But Lawrence, you take away that one half that he had last week against the Chargers. In the second half of the season, he's been one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL, period. I mean, he's really grown up. He's got weapons. They utilize them properly. I love the over in this one. It's already gone up to 53. I got it at 51 when this line first came out. And I think this is going to be a shootout. In a shootout, give me the team that's getting eight and a half points because I think this is a one-score game. The Chiefs don't traditionally cover big numbers. Uh, we saw it last year. Obviously, they lost to the Bengals outright. Um, so to me, this is a, a dog play. I'm going to back the Jags. I'm going to play the over. And I'm going to take those points at eight and a half and feel pretty good about it. You know, I just hope that Mahomes doesn't, uh, you know, really turn the lights out early in these guys. Yeah. But they showed last week against the Chargers, even when they're down big, they don't quit. So I'm looking for the Jags to at least make this a one-score game. Bengals getting five and a half at Buffalo. Does the trend continue? I'm taking the dog again, Brady. Yeah, I'm taking the five and a half here with the Bengals. I got a bad number. I got it at five when it opened. I couldn't believe it went up. I was really surprised it went up to five and a half. Now, the thing that concerns me is they might be without three starting offensive linemen uh, in this game for the Bengals. The big one to me is the guard, Alex Kappa, that came over from the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers, right? And he's listed as, as questionable right now. If he can't go, that worries me. Williams, the, the big left tackle out of Alabama, I don't know if he's going to be able to go. He, he has not been that good, let's be honest, at left tackle, which bodes even worse. If he hasn't been a good left tackle and he's banged up, what's the backup going to look like there? Sure. And Leo Collins is already out for the year. Uh, of course, they got him away from the Cowboys last year. If Kappa can go, I think he really fortifies the inside of that line. They have not been a great running team this year with Piran and, and Mixon, so it does fall on those talented three three wide receivers. I think it's the best triumphant in all of the NFL that Joe Burrow has. And Josh Allen, as much as I love the Bills and I root for them, and who doesn't root for them after what's happened with DeMar Hamlin and company, he just turns it over too much for me. And we saw what the Bengals did, opportunistic against the Ravens last week, and, you know, the 98-yard uh, reverse skate for Hubbard and the longest fumble return in the history of the NFL playoffs. That defense is pretty good. It's better than people think. And I do like the Bengals catching five, five and a half. I think there's a good chance they can win this game outright. And the last game of the weekend, or at least the last uh, one on my sheet here, um, Eagles and Giants, Philly giving seven and a half. Um, and there's that old football mantra that it's really hard to beat a team three times in one season. And that's what the Eagles are going to try to do on Sunday when they take on the Giants. So you've been on the dog three out of four. The Giants kind of brewed themselves a little bit this weekend. You know, they, they, were, they got off to that hot start, and we're like, the Giants, huh? Okay, okay. And then here they are in the playoffs having won a game trying to take out the number one seed. Al Pacino, baby. Dog day afternoon. I'm taking all dogs. I'm taking the G-men. <laughs> I'm taking the seven and a half points. You mentioned it's hard to beat a team three times. The Niners did do that now to Seattle and just finish that off. But really for the Eagles, it would be beating the Giants twice because the last game of the regular season, they called up Davis Webb off the practice squad. They didn't even want to put Tyrod Taylor out there in case Daniel, excuse me, in case Daniel Jones got hurt, right? And they didn't want to show any cards in that last game. Again, I'm going to harp on it because I'm a huge guy when it comes to coaching in the NFL. You're going to give me Brian Dable against, uh, was it Jeremy Gannon, the 10-year-old defensive coordinator for the Eagles? No, he's done a really good job as a young coordinator in the NFL. <laughs> I, I'm not just getting on him because he's young. But I'm taking advantage of Brian Dable, who I think is going to be coach of the year. And Wink Martindale, sure. as the defensive coordinator, 
against Nick Sirianni. Sirianni's done a really good job, but those are two really young coaches against two really experienced coaches, certainly Wink Martindale, when it comes to being a D coordinator. They are going to heat Jalen Hurts up. And if Jalen Hurts cannot run, and I don't know if he can run the ball or not, we'll find out about that shoulder, collarbone. They've been very quiet about what the actual injury is. Well, if he can't run the ball and take those hits, he's going to get hit. They're going to hit him a lot. There is no way Wink Martindale is going to sit back in a passive defense and let Justin, uh, they're going to let uh, Jalen Hurts scan the field. They're going to heat him up and they're going to put pressure on him and find out just how healthy he is. He did not look great in that season ending victory against the Giants when he came back off the injury. So it's a little bit of ring rust, I think, for Hurts. No Wayne Johnson, which is a huge defection from that offensive line for the Eagles. Watch the Giants' defense. I think that's going to be a lower-scoring game. I think it's going to be a one-score game, and I think the Giants will be in it to win it. I didn't even talk about Saquon Barkley and Danny Dimes as well as their plan. I'm looking at that Giant defense, and I really think Kayvon Thibodeau might be a guy that you watch and go, whoa, this kid just came of age in a high-profile game in the city of Brotherly Shaw. They say that this weekend of football is the best on the schedule. Um, and it's, I think it's true. These, these, you got four games, really good teams, really good players, great coaches. You mentioned Brian Dable, the coach of the year in, in your eyes. Um, what, did, uh, what did Wild Card Weekend do to the Super Bowl market when it comes to the futures? Did it, did it shift the market much? Or yep. is the favorite still you know, the Chiefs and the Eagles? Or, or I don't I don't even know if that was accurate. You know, but. <laughs> you know what? You know what's interesting, Brady? It, it was actually the Niners were the favorite to come out of the NFC. So that surprised me. But I do think that plays into what I'm talking about about Jalen Hurts, that we really don't know exactly how healthy he is right now. Now, look, I hope he's healthy. I hope he's 100%. But this is the reality of the situation. If you've got an injury, these guys are not going to go easy on you for, for these years. They're going to go after you just how healthy you are. So – I think that's why the Niners right now, they feel like they're a little bit healthier. Their offensive line, when you, you got guys, you know, like Trent Williams, who might be the best left tackle that's left out there right now. CMC, the running game, Debo Samuel back and being healthy. The Niners got dudes everywhere. I totally get that. I just think the two best teams right now in the NFC are playing in that game out there in Santa Clara on Sunday night. I think the Cowboys and the Niners are both right now better than the Eagles. Tougher road for the Cowboys to get there. Because mm -hmm. theoretically, if the seeds hold, they got to beat San Fran, then beat Philadelphia. But don't be surprised if two of these underdogs win outright this weekend. I wouldn't see, be surprised at all, and that's why I'm taking all four dogs. Love it. Love it. Um, this time of year, Dave, there's not a whole lot going on in the world of sports. You know, uh, the NBA, NHL, college basketball, still well entrenched in their regular seasons. And um, really, it's all about the NFL playoffs. An exciting time mm -hmm. to be in Las Vegas for sure. Um, the next thing to come up after the Super Bowl is the NCAA tournament. Um, mm -hmm. wh what's it like for a guy like you who talks gambling oh, all day and talks sports? You got to do a, a deep dive, a crash course. You got about a month to get ready for the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, it, it is. It's great. I mean, I was out here last year for the NCAA tournament. I'd been out here uh, decades before with a bachelor party weekend for a buddy of mine. I was getting married for the, uh, for the NCAA tournament. There's nothing like it out here to eat, whether you're at Circa or at South Point, I do shows out of both of those casinos and it's the atmosphere is, is just amazing. And again, you know, we're a hop, skip and a jump from California. So when UCLA is playing, you got all the Bruins and their gear and 
you know, you see that same thing for the, the Niner fans. And, you know, in, whenever you get that, that proximity here to California, you do see a lot of that spillover here. I can't wait for March Madness. But to me right now, as I look at it and I handicap it, I did take a play in December on Houston at 8-1 to one to win the whole thing. That's been shorted a little bit, down, not that much, down to about 6-1, to 7-1 in some markets there. I think I do think they're the best team that I've seen so far in college basketball. But then I think like when you look at two seeds and three seeds, there's some other really good teams that maybe we're not talking about. I do look at a team like Alabama and I guard play, as you know, is going to certainly reign supreme when we get there in March. I like teams that can kind of heat you up, turn you over and get easy buckets. So I look for that. I want to see what Gonzaga's guards look like, because this is not your typical Gonzaga team that's loaded at guard play. They still have Drew Timmy, who's about a thousand years old uh, in there and <laughs> yeah. still doing his thing. If the guards get better and Gonzaga's a two or a, th- a three seed, watch out because now they're not going to be a one. They're not going to be picked to go far. They'll be a chic pick to knock out. And I think Mark Few is going to actually enjoy that this year. So some of the teams that were kind of casting away, like the Dukes and the Gonzagas that are not the same Dukes and Gonzagas, and even UNC, who went from number one all the way to unranked, they'll be better when you get to March. So it's like a Tom Izzo coach team. Right. I don't care right. what the record looks like, you know, in January. Talk to me in March. Those teams are still going to be tough outs. Yeah, my Hoosiers took down North Carolina in the ACC Big Ten yep. Challenge. Um, and I, I know North Carolina wasn't 100%, and Indiana's taken a bit of a nosedive. Um, injuries and bad defense, lots lots to think about there. I <laughs> I took a look at they, – they played Wisconsin in Bloomington uh, over the weekend, and I looked out of curiosity at the line because I know Indiana's been bad. Wisconsin's not the best this year. Indiana was favored by four. I was like, oh, my God, hop on Wisconsin, no problem. And then, of course, I'm glad I stayed away because Indiana wins by 20 at home. Go figure. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. As you know, Brady, you know, Illinois, I know I, I think a lot of people have a little bit of concern about this Brad Underwood team here uh, with the Illini. That's the way it is in big-time big time basketball, as I like to say, big-boy basketball. That's what they play in the Big Ten. So mm-hmm. it's tough to win on the road. So, again – you know, it's just kind of basic handicapping for your listeners out there. But to me in conference play, when I see road dogs, I look at home. I, when I look at road dogs, I think home teams got a chance to win outright because normally in conference play, that's where you're going to get your best shot when you're a home dog. You know, those crowds are looking for the upset. They want to storm the court. You see it happen every week in college basketball. Look for those home dogs in conference play. They normally tend to be very, very profitable. You mentioned um, UCLA fans and, and fans of, of teams in general, you know, converging upon Las Vegas. And it seems like every year there's more and more events uh, that, that happen there, whether it's T-Mobile Arena or, of course, mm-hmm. the football stadium now. Um, I remember being in Las Vegas, um, Pac-12 tournament time. So right before the NCAA tournament, and we were just hanging out at a bar. I think it was inside New York, New York, and... The UCLA cheerleaders and band came through. Oh, it, was, yeah. it was a special atmosphere because the, the Bruins were about to play. Um, have there been any more rumblings of events and or teams setting up shop in Las Vegas? I would think UCLA would be a repeat offender because that, that is something that's the one that I noticed, too. And ironically, when you say that, Brady, the first time ever that I came out to Vegas in the early 2000s, it was a 2003 NCAA tournament I was referring to. The same thing happened with UCLA, the band the cheerleaders. And I was like, what are we in California? <laughs> right. So like that seems to be a Bruins staple out here in Las Vegas. So I'd look for that again uh, to happen this year. But you know, you mentioned T-Mobile arena. 
Uh, you know, UFC, we got a, a card this weekend down there in Brazil with UFC 283. I love being out here in the fight capital of the world. Always have big time events uh, at, at uh, T-Mobile and certainly at UFC Apex, not far from where I live here. So there's always something going on, even when the NFL ends, even before we get to March Madness. I mean, if you like fights, you come out to Vegas, you can always catch one. Have you been to a, a Golden Knights game? You know, I have not been inside yet, T-Mobile, for that. Uh, and I, I should, I know. I'm like, now it <laughs> should be my new home team, right? But it's, it's a big ticket in town. It really is. I mean, the, uh, the city has gravitated to them. Obviously, the Raiders coming here a couple of years ago. That's been big for the city here. We, we've heard rumblings that maybe an NBA team and certainly the Oakland A's have been bannered about. Mm -hmm. I don't think it'll be that long. I would say within a decade that Las Vegas is a full-serve sports station here. And they get all four major sports. And, of course, you got Formula One coming, which there's a tremendous – I'm not a Formula One guy, but there is a buzz in Las Vegas and, they're, you know, building the, the There's going to be a race in Chicago, else. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's wild how much people are getting into this stuff. So, you know, this was the sports gambling capital of the world. I think they can just take out the gambling port at, at some point and just say <laughs> – this is going to be the sports capital of the world. No, no, no. They, they don't build big, shiny buildings without gambling revenue. Come on now. Yeah, you got to have the gambling. Yeah. <laughs> I know they take my money, too. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of the, the sports gambling industry, I think it was it, it must have been um, Ohio that just mm -hmm. legalized sports betting, and none other, yep. none other than Pete Rose makes the first live sports wager. I mean, come on, man. You're trying to get into the Hall of Fame. Like, little little PR there. Come on. Well, you know, if there was ever a guy that would be making the first wager, it would be Pete. Now, we don't know if he bet on, on his team or against his team, right, I guess, would right. be the old joke, right? <laughs> but, you know, it's so funny going back to that, Brady, because I remember that very well in the late 80s when that was such a huge scandal for Pete Rose and uh, Bart Giamatti, who has obviously long since passed away. But, you know, he was the baseball commissioner at the time. And, and what people forget in this argument, like, should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? Of course, right? I don't think there's any debate when you just look at the accolades on the diamond. But he signed a piece of paper with Bart Giamatti back in 1988, I believe it was. And basically that kept him out of federal prison right. for real serious crime. So I, I understand the people that are like, this is ridiculous and baseball is so hypocritical and Pete Rose should be in. Yeah, he should. But Pete kind of did that to himself. So I'm not one of those guys that I'm not going to die in the hill for Pete Rose to get in the Hall of Fame. Sure. He avoided federal prison by not going to the Baseball Hall of Fame and signing a piece of paper that said he'd never be eligible for it. So, you know, there, we always forget that other part of the equation when the Pete Rose conversation uh, gets opened up. But, yeah, the hit king should be in if he just hadn't screwed it up after his playing career as a manager. Right. And there, there's negatives to sports gambling, too. I, I just recently yep. – watched uh, a Tim Donaghy uh, documentary on Netflix, I think it was. And uh, I've seen stories about, you know, people going after college athletes because oh, yeah. they lost a game. I mean, you know, sports betting is all well and good and it generates revenue and it's a lot of fun, but there's, there's some downside to it as well, right? No question. I think with anything else kind of in, in the system we're, we're in, in capitalism, right? There's, there's always going to be people out there trying to beat the system, get unfair advantages. You mentioned going after college kids. And I always joke in the programs, you know, when you're betting on college sports, you're betting on kids. Like, let's remember that. Right. These are kids. We're adults betting money. And if you lose, don't blame the kids. Like, they're still <laughs> right. kids at the end right. of the day, right? So I, I hate when I hear those stories of, you know, it used to be back in the day, agents going after kids. Now with NIL, that, that's kind of come out of, of the, the, the backwoods, if you will. You don't have to be as 
shady about it here. Now you can just say, hey, you sign with me and we're going to give you this million dollar deal for your name, image and likeness. So maybe there's some upsides to NIL to kind of get away from that shady part. But as long as we're in the society we're in, there's always going to be shady people out there uh, trying to get the jump on somebody else. But for the most part, you know, again, you like to say, you know, bet with your head, don't bet over it. And those seem like cliches, but if you can really kind of keep that in kind of in place, if you're going to be a sports gambler, you don't have to be. But if you are, I think if you live by that credo, you're going to be okay. You've got the American flag behind you. And there was a, a significant moment in our history just a couple of weeks ago when the new Congress was looking to uh, elect a Speaker of the House. And I know you're a huge sports fan, obviously, but a bit of a political junkie as well. Oh, yeah. What was your take on that? Um, I, I, I don't know what word I want to use to describe it. Circus, fiasco. Like, what, what was your take? Well, I, first of all, I was live tweeting it, if there's such a thing, by watching it at home, because I was fascinated by radio. You might be the first person to live tweet C-SPAN. I know, right? Like, oh, my God, we're going for round 13, right. people. Buckle up. But it's fascinating to, to me to see our government in action. And this is what it is. And what, what it showed to me is this is shining the light on how all this stuff happens. And the process sometimes to get there can be ugly. And I thought this was ugly. I mean, we had what? We had somebody going after, I think it was Matt Gates on the floor because he didn't vote for McCarthy and whatever right. round it was. And it prolonged it to another round. They're like, well, I'm going to remember this. <laughs> We're going to remember this. Like, that stuff's ugly when you see it in person happening. But you know what I liked about it, Brady? I liked the fact that before they just gave the gavel to, to Kevin McCarthy, there were people in his party, whether you like those people or not, that said, we're going to hold you accountable for what you say. And we want to have provisions in here that say, if we don't like, if you go back on what you say, we have the chance to remove you as Speaker of the House. So some say that neuters Kevin McCarthy, but I say it puts kind of checks and balances on things. And that, that doesn't bother me as an American. I go, I like that. I like that the parties try to have checks. That was the whole system of government when it started. Right. The th three separate but equal branches in theory that we can kind of check the other if one starts to get out of whack. So to me, this is, you know, the people's house, as they call it, the House of Representatives. And if this is the process to get a new speaker after Nancy Pelosi, it's got to be ugly. I'm just glad we got to see it play out. It was fascinating for me as an observer. And again, I'm never going to shy away. It's our country. It's our government, and we get the right to have a say whether we like the way it's going, don't like the way it's going, but do not be silent, America. Speak your mind about what you think. This is your country, too, everybody that's in it. By the people and for the people, right? There it is. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for taking some time on this Wednesday evening. Um, what, do you got, what do you got on tap the rest of the week? Anything fun going on in Vegas? Oh, yeah. I, got to, I have a podcast, First Strike, wherever you get your podcast. You can listen in uh, every week. We got the big UFC 283 card. I'll be breaking that down from a vetting perspective with our experts on Friday. First strike, first look is already up now. We look at the early lines in the week before they change. And then, of course, my show, my daily show, uh, Big Bets with Amal Shaw. That's on from 2 to 4 Eastern every day on Visa. All right, man. We'll let you get back to it. Thanks again, and uh, go Cowboys, man. Let's go, baby. <laughs> Don't even need the points, Brady. Just take a money line plus $1.75. There you go.